roll the footage. Welcome back everybody, I'm Simon Severino, your host. And today we have core values activist, former rock star, and one of his country's top 10 motivational speakers. Welcome everybody, Brent Mensoir. Thank you, Simon. So great to be here with you this morning. Excited to have you here. And I want to know everything about your latest book, about the mm -hmm. process of coming up with this book, how the book changed you and what it is all about. And then I want to explore your entrepreneurial stuff because you have a hot software that you are yeah. building and is changing the world. But let's start yeah. with the book. Why did you start writing a book? Well, you know, this was my second book. Uh, the first book that I wrote came out three or four years ago called Rock and Roll With It, uh, Overcoming the Challenge of Change. And it, and it looks specifically at the two types of change that we face. Uh, the intentional change that we want to make, you know, I want to lose 10, 20 pounds. And then uh, the unintentional change that is sometimes forced upon us um, that uh, we have to deal with. And so how do you deal with each type of change, right? And so the success of that book sort of led to the, the last book that came out uh, last year called Black Sheep. And it was centered around the idea of why black sheep are not valued by farmers like the rest of the flock. And when I found out the truth, it really led to me writing this book and hopefully connecting with people and letting them understand what it means to truly be a black sheep. So I think most of us, when we think of that, when we think of the connotation of black sheep, um, it's sort of an outcast, right? Sort of that 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 person that, that hangs out on the edges and they don't fit in. But the truth is, is the reason that farmers don't value black sheep like the rest of the flock is because a black sheep's wool cannot be dyed. So every black sheep, in effect, is 100% authentically original and it can't be made into something it wasn't meant to be. So when I heard that, it certainly made me feel better about feeling like a black sheep uh, for most of my life. Um, but more importantly, it made me sort of ask the questions as to what makes me a black sheep? What are those non-negotiable values, those personal core values that make me who I am? And so the book helps you discover your flock of five. What are those five non-negotiable values that are unique to you and teaches you how to prove that they're real and then how to employ them and activate them in your life on a daily basis. And why five and not three or 19? Yeah, good question. So, you know, the truth is that uh, we have an assessment that goes along with the, the Black Sheep book and course. And, and the idea is it presents you with about 125 commonly held personal core values. And it asks uh, the people taking it, to just select any word that really resonates with you. What's a value that you deem really important to you? And after you know, 10,000 plus people have taken the assessment, um, what we know is that the average person selects at least 30 different values that they deem really important in their lives. And why that's important is because human nature is going to be to try to satisfy those 30 things on a daily basis, which is setting yourself up for uh, it, it's just impossible, right? I, I don't use that word very often. Um, but it's it's truly impossible to sustain and honor 
30 different values on a regular basis. Uh, when I say regular basis, I mean daily. Uh, the idea of when you discover your five, you have to program them into your calendar. You have to pick and choose where they show up and what impact they're going to have in your meetings. So for me, uh, creativity, hope, impact, empathy, family, authenticity, that's my flock. I have six. Um, it's not unusual to have one more or one less, but the truth is if you're going to activate them, if you're going to lean into them and, and sort of manifest them on a daily basis, you can't really have more than five or six and do it consistently. Um, you could have three. Uh, it's rare that someone is that, uh, focused. If they have three, what I would say is that, um, all of our values exist in a hierarchy sort of within the family of values that exist, uh, for that vertical. And so they would be at the very, very top. They would have to have the highest value in the hierarchy to only have three because that would allow it to cover many more sort of sub values that would fall underneath. Wow. And so how do you plan to serve your five values today? Do you have some examples? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll give you a perfect example is that, you know, when I look at my calendar and you see that uh, we're going to record this podcast today, it just does. It's not just the appointment time that you see uh, in this particular one. There's two things that that are written next to it. One is creativity and the other is hope. Mm -hmm. um, so so for me, it's my job during our time together today to make sure that creativity comes to the forefront and that everyone has to leave with hope. If they don't leave with hope, that's that's my fault if they don't experience that. And so I'm being very deliberate with my intention uh, during our time together today to make sure that these two values have the impact that I desire. Wow. And so when you think about your day, for example, about your day tomorrow, you mm -hmm. you literally think about these five and it's it's like text that you that you add to your mm -hmm. to your day wow every single every single appointment you're going to see at least two if not uh, three or four um, of these values written in next to it so that i can be deliberate with my intention you know the, the truth is if you can't tell me what your five non-negotiable values are explain to me why you chose them and the impact they've had in your life and how you amplify them every day then you're winging it um, I'm quite familiar because I, I was winging it for 47 plus years. So <laughs> I'm an expert at winging it. Um, <clears throat> but when you start to be deliberate with your intention, when you go into, into meetings and, and conversations with deliberate intention, um, you'll be shocked uh, at the difference of outcomes that you have. Because even though we can't control outcomes, um, when we are leading with the things that matter most to us, you'll find that the power of connection is amplified 10x. Absolutely. And it makes such a difference if you go with an intention or you just, you just, you know, you go into something and mm -hmm. you stumble into, into a meeting. Powerful. What made you realize that this is important? So for me, it's a, it's a, it was a personal story. Um, my oldest son, Theo, when he was 14 was diagnosed with a rare blood cancer and, uh, he needed, um, to get a bone marrow transplant in order to survive. And it was sort of during that process, uh, several times we were at a crossroads where the doctors told us he wasn't going to make it. And, um, I realized in those moments when they told me specifically one, one specific time that they, they sort of were at the point where they said, you've got to go and say your goodbyes. Um, if this is something you choose to do, um, when I got into that, uh, sort of moment with him, 
I was fumbling because I didn't have really any anchors to hold me to, you know, uh, my emotions had gotten the better of me. And when we don't have these values established and they're not these ironclad non-negotiables, then when you're in the middle of a tornado, you're trying to reach for the values that are swirling around you, um, you know, 30, 40 at a time. And it's not a comfortable feeling. Right, you never really truly feel like you said what you needed to say, or or the the conversation went the direction you wanted it to, um, and so you know, fortunately, we got lucky in that time, and and he survived, um, but unfortunately, we we lost Theo in February to COVID, and um, you know, I was able to have another conversation uh, in that moment, and say all the things that I needed to say, uh, and, and and make sure that I I honored creativity and hope and impact and empathy and family and authenticity, all those things were at the forefront of that conversation. So, you know, I, I, as sad and, and upsetting as it is, um, I can feel good that I didn't leave anything on the table. And so in that moment, if you had family defined, then you would pick family and say, this is the rock, uh, that I stand upon now. And this is the place from which I speak, and that would have helped? It, it, more than that, it's that family is the focus in that moment, and don't be distracted by the, all the other things that are going on. When you're mm. in an ICU, ICU unit, there's a, there's a million things going on around you that are easily distractions. Um, so stay focused on family, but more importantly, when you are focused on family, what, what is it you're focusing on? Um, you know, you need to hold on to hope until that very, that very last second that you can. Right. And so, so there is no question of, of what those conversations were filled with. They were filled with hope and they were filled with empathy of feeling what was happening in the moment and, and me being authentically me. Um, and that's, uh, uh, it, it's so important to remember those things in difficult times because, uh, all you can control is the decisions that you make in the moment. Uh, you can't control the outcomes of what happened afterwards. And so you have to feel good about those decisions. And I don't know how you can feel good when you're winging it. You have to, you have to be activating these things that are at the very core of who you are in order to feel like you've done what you needed to do. Do these core values change? For example, family. Mm -hmm. I had no core value family before I was a father. I had more athletic core values, like I'm a triathlete or whatever. And, mm -hmm. and, and that shifted when I became a father. Do these core values change? How often should we revisit? Yeah, so core values don't change. Um, uh, most of our core values are etched in stone by the time we're in our early 20s. Um, what I would tell you is that you had, you had family labeled as something different for yourself. You might say now that family might be one, but in, in fact, family is in the hierarchy of connection. So at the very top of that, uh, hierarchy of values is connection. So family is an example of connection. Faith is an example of connection, uh, relationships, uh, community, uh, all of those things are examples of connection. So the, the very top value in that hierarchy of that type of value is connection. So you are still experiencing connection. If we were to guess right now, I would tell you that connection is probably one of your, just from the nature of what you do every day and how your business is structured. Um, the coaching, all of that is centered on connection. So connection would be one of your black sheep values. Um, family is, is simply an example of how you experience mm. connection. So is your, so is your business. So is your, you know, your colleagues, your coworkers, your, you know, all of those things, clients, they're all forms of connection. Ah, so tell us about the categories. You say there are some that are on top and are, mm. um, categories, and then there are sub 
subsets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, when, when you take the assessment and, and we'll make sure we, we give everybody the, it's a free assessment. We'll make sure everyone gets a link to take it if they, if they are interested in it. But ultimately, you know, when the assessment, uh, you start taking it, it presents you with about 125 commonly held core values. And, uh, the, after you sort of select the ones that are important to you, you are required to group them by likeness, right? And so you'll have things like sympathy, empathy, caring for others. Those all fit into one sort of box because they're all related to each other. Um, success, achievement, again, things like that go in another box because they're related to each other. Um, and as you, as you sort of work through these words, you find that um, it reveals a lot about, about you. Uh, about what words you choose to put together because you think they're related, number one. Um, it tells me a lot about you when, when I look at the words that you put together. Uh, and then and then we start to look and see sometimes when people say they don't experience, because in the, in the proving process, let's say you get to your five, what happens after you get to what your five black sheep values are is you have to prove them that they're actually real and not just something that you think is real. <laughs> because what we know now after so many people taking it the initial five that you come up with, two or three of them are absolutely real. And they you have got 20 examples over the course of your life that you can prove that they're real and, and they make sense. But two or three of them uh, beyond that are complete fabricated BS. Uh, and they are that's for a variety of reasons, right? It could be that you have been conditioned to care for other people's sheep your whole life, um, which happens a lot, right? If you grew up caring for a parent, a grandparent, a child, uh, you were in a single parent household and you were responsible for siblings or all those sorts of things, you've been conditioned to care for other people's sheep. And oftentimes we mistake those for our own and, and that doesn't work well. Um, you have to feed yours first. And so the idea is two weeks worth of tracking these values. Do they appear organically in your life on a regular basis? If the answer is yes, there's a good chance they're true. If the answer is no, then it's one or two things really. Uh, it's you've got the wrong value. Um, you've, you've allowed someone to project that value onto you and that's why it's not showing up because it's not yours. Um, or secondly, uh, when we look at those sorts of things as well, uh, it could be that you've drilled down a little too far. So for instance, if you told me that, um, you know, faith was one of your non-negotiable values and you spent a year in, uh, in isolation because of the pandemic and you never went to church, does that mean that faith is not, uh, one of your core values because you didn't experience it as you normally would in a, in, in a normal sort of situation. Um, no, the, the truth is that the value there is truly connection and you are experiencing that connection through your faith community, through your belief in a higher power, through the reading of texts, through you know a variety of things. And so in those instances, when you drill down too far, if you sort of eliminate the ability for that to happen, um, it can often appear that it's not your value but the truth is there, it is in the family of values. You just have to level up a, a few, um, a few sort of, uh, levels to get to the point where you are at the, at the right value in the hierarchy. I love it. And I, I will take the test afterwards. <laughs> my first hunch is that my three values will be something around connection, creativity, courage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I mean, just knowing again, 
knowing your business as I've as I've had a chance to take a look at, I would I would agree with you a hundred percent. The question is those those two others, right? Those are the outliers that um, oftentimes we neglect when you are focused on three and only three. Um, you're again, if you're, if you're too nailed down, I mean, those are pretty specific values, right? And you can, you can show courage in a variety of different areas. Connection is going to be all over the place for you. It'll be the the most popular value. In fact, connection is the number one shared value among humans by a 50% Mm. margin to the next closest value, which is uh, integrity. Uh, And the number Mm. three value is authenticity, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so when we start to look at these values that resonate across the board with everyone, it's because they're very subjective in nature, right? And so what is courageous to you? Is courageous um, standing up to uh, an unruly client or is courageous climbing Mount Everest, right? I mean, it's it's a very um, wide definition. And so one of the things that we always have people do when they say, here are my non-negotiable values, is they have to define what they mean by that. And so I need to know what your definition of courage is. What's your definition of connection? Because if you don't define those things, um, you end up winging it or trying to force a square peg into a round hole. (laughs) I will take the test and everybody should. And um, now let's move to the SaaS. So you have Hmm. built something wonderful and um, it's a software-based solution. So tell us, how did you start building it? Last year when the book, my book was coming out, I had a, it was published through page two publishing in Vancouver, had a wonderful experience with page two and their team, um, helping me put this book together, their professional publisher. Um, they're sort of in the hybrid model, um, outside of traditional publishing. So I maintained creative control and sort of, uh, where I wanted the book to go and how I wanted it to be, uh, sort of placed in the market, but. I still had to hire a publicist and I, and so I did, and I hired a publicist and spent gobs of money and, and had just a horrible experience. Like they did nothing. I think I got a psychic podcast (laughs) is what I got. So I was not very happy with the results. And so I, I just, I ended up taking sort of the book back from them, letting them go and trying to find innovative ways to market my book. And so, you know, I spent the last 20 years prior to this in, uh, in the music business, uh, as a, you know, as a rock star with two different bands and traveled the world and, and had an opportunity to make music my living for a long time. And so I started to employ some of the same tactics that we would use to, to promote our music, um, to promote books. And, and it started to work. And so my business partner, uh, Jim Knight, who was, uh, an executive with hard rock for 21 years ran their learning and development program. And, and, uh, one of the people sort of responsible for the culture that is hard rock that we all know and love, um, sort of went to him and said, I think there's this gap in the market for an innovative digital book marketing program that just doesn't exist right now. That doesn't have to cost, you know, a new car. And, um, so we, we had this idea of, of an app. What, what if we took the same technology that 44 million people in the United States use on a daily basis, which are dating apps, what if we use that same structure and instead of matching people with people, we match people with books? And so let's take the same questions that someone would need to fill out to start a dating profile on a, on a match.com or an eHarmony or a Tinder or whatever your, your uh, dating app of choice is. 
let's take nine questions and let's wrap a book review around answers to those questions. And so the, the app is called Bookie Call. And we take uh, nine questions from actual dating apps and we have our staff of writers craft book dating profiles, which are really innovative book reviews um, that you can swipe right or left on in the app and decide whether or not you want to take that book on a date Twi twice a week on Wednesday nights and on Saturday nights. In the middle of the night, you get a bookie call from the app. It is a uh, text that comes to you, a notification through the app that says you up. And then it presents you with three potential books uh, for you to book up with. And so we've uh, launched the two months ago and uh, are already at 100,000 users in 205 wow. co countries and territories. Uh, the app is exploding. Um, I think we're at 21 on staff now at, at Bookie Call. So um, we are uh, just holding on with white knuckles right now, trying not to screw things up. <laughs> That's perfect. And so... And this is for more for readers or more for people who have written a book and want to promote it or for both? Yes. Yes. And right. So um, we sort of serve two communities. We serve authors and publishers. So we have, you know, some of the traditional big publishers that um, are looking for ways to promote books and get their, you know, their books in front of a targeted audience. So when you join the app, you have to tell the app um, what you normally like to read. And so it presents you with about 10 different categories of fiction and 10 categories of nonfiction. And you use these sliders to say how much you read those types of books. The app creates an algorithm specifically to you and starts to, you know, um, recommend books based on that algorithm. So for us, we can tell you how many people swipe in self, you know, self-help or personal development, or they swipe in contemporary romance or, you know, science fiction, um, historical fiction. You know, we have 20 different categories of books within the app itself. Uh, and then on the author side, you know, we, we want to make sure that we present an option for authors that aren't with a major publisher, right? That, that don't have a ton of money to go out and spend to promote. So we've made it incredibly affordable. The book is a, only a maximum of 5,000 books in our library. Um, that allows us to, to, have a hundred and sixty thousand percent better chance of your book matching a reader than on Amazon, and so uh, because of that, uh, it really is the most affordable targeted promotion for authors that exist today. Wow! Because I'm an author, so I have to do mm -hmm. the test after this. I have to go to. I have, I have so many. Is that book? Now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. So that's your software. And it's funny, you know, you started as a musician and now you are a software entrepreneur. How is that transition? It's a little strange. Um, you know, some some forced learning. <laughs> uh, you know, when you get into app development, you start to learn that it's it's not just, hey, I'm going to, you know, take this software and find a coder. And I mean, there's, you know, there's there's 10 different people who have their hands in the cookie jar and everybody is it's sort of like the medical world is how, how I uh, explain it, Simon, is, is that it's everybody's a specialist, right? Nobody's a generalist. You don't have a, you don't have a primary care physician in the app development world. You've got 10 different specialists that only do this one thing. And so if you need five things done, you have to contract five different people because they only do what they do and, and they don't cross streams, right? And so um, it's been interesting on that, on that front for sure. But, um, you know, here we go back to the black sheep values. This app mm -hmm. is literally a manifestation 
of my black sheep values, right? Of creativity, hope, impact, empathy, family, authenticity. This is what you experience um, in the app. You can't call an app Buki call and have an, uh, a, a kitschy experience with the app. You've got to make it an elevated experience. The creativity has to be there. It's, um, it's got to give readers hope that you can actually match them with a book that is something they're going to like. Um, it has to be authentic and bold in nature, right? It's got to be a little irreverent. Um, we're doing thing that something that's never been done before. Um, and so, you know, I think that's why we're experiencing the explosive growth that that we are. Um, it is it is cost effective on one side, but it's just using a different part of your brain to get you to choose what you want to read next. I mean, what are your options if if you didn't have Buki Call? You can ask a friend. You can read the back of a book. You can go into a bookstore and waste two or three hours trying to figure out what you're going to read next. Um, these sort of book dating profiles. Uh, are structured in the same way that you would choose a person to date. So you're you're more emotionally engaged with these reviews than anything you've read in your life because they are presented to you as if you're going to take this book on a date. I love the idea and it's fun. And uh, it it's a two-sided marketplace as a strategy advisor, I always I always recommend go for the two-sided marketplace because you have two <laughs> magnets, more users bring in more publishers. That's right. More publishers okay. bring in more users, bring in more That's authors, it. bring in more readers. And then 100%. it's harder. You have a moat and it's harder to disrupt. Okay. Try disrupt Google. Try disrupt something that is a two-sided marketplace and it has network effects. You have no chance. That's right. No chance. Agreed. 100%. I love it. And um, what are you excited about looking forward? Now, the end of this year, looking <laughs> to the next year. Um, we've got some pretty exciting sort of uh, plans in place for the app as to how we can expand on the algorithm. Um, we are looking at, you know, part of our, our goal is, is uh, diversity and inclusion to make sure that readers feel like there are books in the library that represent them um, uh, with authors as well, right? That, that uh, we accept um, books from all people of all kinds um, on all subjects. And um, and so, you know, our, ideally, we are going to set up in 2022 uh, speed dating events with partner bookstores all over the country where um, we use the location services function of the app to promote these dating nights where you will go with friends to a local bookstore and, uh, you know, basically look at 10 different books, five fiction and five nonfiction in a speed dating format where you get five minutes to read the profile of the book. You can listen to a little clip of the audio book and decide whether you want to take that book on a date. If you do, you take a copy of the book with you. And at the end of the night, you bring all those books into the, uh, to the register. And then that local bookstore makes all the revenue from that night. And so, you know, we're trying to support the local mom and pop brick and mortars um, and keep them alive and healthy. Uh, so we're, we've got big plans for sort of that as well. And then we're already talking about potential spinoffs into the children's book space, um, which would be a, a bit of a right turn, but a lot of repurposed coding that we could use in the app to have something specific to children's books. The, the top two books in publishing uh, genres, so you know right now, are children's books and cookbooks. Oh, so, I wrote the wrong um, book. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> you and me both, brother. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to turn Black Sheep into a children's book. Yeah, uh, but, the uh, little Black Sheep. That's exactly right. And so, his piggy you know, friend. It's right. It's, it is... Uh, <laughs> So, you know, there's a mat, here's a, here's a, um, 
a challenge the, way, the market. By the way, Peppa Pig is amazing and Blaze the Monster Machine. I I am literally I am literally in awe when my kids they're three and six when they mm -hmm. go Peppa Pig, but especially Blaze because Blaze at some point he has this lava and then he has to change tires. He he doesn't just change the tires. He goes okay and now scream with me lava power and then everybody in my kitchen goes lava power and i go like wow these guys know how to create an experience right when i have a workshop nobody goes lava power yeah it's true it's true and if they do those are those are called cults Simon. Yeah. and that's where we have a bit of a challenge in those cases yes <laughs> yes but yeah children books i get it because they are doing a great job it's well, it's a low point of entry, right? So anybody can anybody can get on Amazon through Amazon publishing and through Kindle publishing and, and, and do a children's book, right? Um, you don't have to invest twenty, thirty thousand dollars into a book to uh, to get it into the market. Um, if you're if you're doing a short children's book, you can you know hire a graphic designer on Fiverr and you've got a couple hundred bucks into a book that uh, you self publish through Kindle and and then there you have it. Um, put a little money into promotion in Google ads. And before you know it, you've got, uh, you know, a number one best-selling book in, you know, children's books released on a Tuesday with blue in the title. And, you know, there's so many uh, categories in Amazon now that you can become a bestseller in uh, that, uh, you know, it's it's a little open market for everybody. So, wow, you are really on fire. You start the th first thing, two months live. It has already so many users and you have already mm -hmm. an adjacent opportunity where you can clone it and, and even start a second full, full mm. fledged uh, software there. Wow. All right. Where can people get a hold of you? Where can do? Where can they do the the values mm -hmm. audit? You can go to findyourblacksheep.com is the easiest way to do this. And then the assessments right on the site. Um, you can go to Brant Menswar, B-R-A-N-T. M-E-N-S-W-A-R.com, uh, the assessments there as well. That's my speaking site where I do most of my keynote speaking. Um, so you can experience that there too. So those are the those are the two easiest ways to go. Findyourblacksheep.com um, is, uh, is the books website. So you can actually get there and see what other people are saying and doing. And there's some additional information on that site with regards to the, the book and assessment. Super cool. And Brent, who should be my next guest? So I've got two for you. Um, very, di very different. Um, it just depends on the direction you want to go. I would say on one side, you've got Jim Knight, who um, is my business partner and a culture expert. Um, and in, in sort of the nature of the business that you coach, um, culture is everything. Uh, uh, and so he uh, is an incredibly successful uh, learning and development specialist uh, with Hard Rock for, for 21 years, um, literally sort of wrote the book uh, the Bible on culture called Culture That Rocks, um, one of my favorite books I've ever read. And it's, it's really about three books in one. I told him he, he just made a big mistake. He could have had a trilogy there <laughs> if he wanted to. Um, so he would be one on the culture side. On the other side um, is a guy named Brian Fanzo. And Brian is a digital futurist who uh, has spoken for years on the keynote circuit um, he's a millennial. He is a pager wearing millennial as he would call himself. <laughs> um, but, uh, he is sort of on the forefront of NFTs and web three and, mm -hmm. you know, all these, this new, uh, the, the future of what sort of this market's going to look like and what does digital ownership really mean? I mean, I don't think 
there's still that many people out there that understand non-fungible tokens and and what that effect might have in a in a digital metaverse where uh ownership now um is something different right web three uh, web so if you looked at web two where it's more you can just publish to the internet and everybody can read it web three is about ownership right you can actually own a piece of it which is something completely new and, and a thought that that no one's really up to now uh, ever had an opportunity to to think through so he's at the very cutting edge of that he's actually doing a um project right now i think where it's 306 he's doing a uh, an nft every day for a year um as part of a project so uh I'll, i always enjoy listening to him he keeps me sort of uh at least with my a finger in what's happening or about to happen in the future so i don't get left behind <laughs> absolutely this this was wonderful brent thank you so much uh, for sharing your journey your wisdom your tools with us i'm now gonna hop and do the the audit and find my value all right thank you love so it much. thank you so much brother keep rolling Avoid trying to do thousands of things that doesn't work. We have 274 templates for your business success. Reach your ambitious goals with one-on-one -on -one sprint coach. We double your revenue in 90 days.